Let's ask God to meet us uh, as we have our second week in Isaiah chapter 55. This is an amazing chapter. Lord, thank you for having Isaiah write these words many, many years ago, 2,700 years ago, thereabouts. Would you now today, by the power of your spirit, have these words become alive to us? Give us soft, tender hearts, Lord, to your truth. Let us be quick to hear, quick to say yes, quick to bend the knee before you. This has been a life-changing, heart-changing passage for me, Lord, and I pray that that you continue your good work through this text in the life of Mercy Hill Church this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And as I always like to say, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We want to bring one to you because we all want to be able to study this passage together. So go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Good. Where Isaiah 55 starts, we, we did verses 1 through 3 last Sunday. God says that he's talking to people who have heart hungers and thirsts, and that's all of us. I mean, if you're honest, if you look inside your heart, you'll see that, that you are ravenous for joy and for peace and for heart satisfaction and fullness. We long for peace, joy, fullness. And so what does God tell us to do with those desires for peace and joy and pleasure? What does he tell us to do? Does he tell us to squelch those desires or to ignore those desires or to uh, deny those desires? Not at all. In, in, in chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter f- verses 1 through 3 of chapter 55, he tells us to bring those desires to him. He says, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you have your heart filled, bring all that hunger and thirst to me. Satisfy your heart desires in knowing me. And when you come to him and you behold his majesty and his goodness and you see his power and you worship him with his, for his wisdom and his compassion and his righteousness and his justice, just like we, we tasted a little bit this morning, didn't we, during worship? Didn't you taste a little bit? It's like, you are awesome. And your heart was made to thrill at the greatness of God. And that's what we do with our heart longings for joy and peace and pleasure. God tells us to bring them to him. Look at verses 1 through 3. He says, come, everyone who thirsts. There's heart thirsts right there. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Jesus paid the price. So we can come without money. We buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. See, God is the waters we come to. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make for you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now here's the illustration I used last week, which I, I wanted to use again this morning, just, just to, to make it really clear to you, okay? And so we got two plates here. Just a second, let me get this all set up. We do not get commissions from In-N-Out, but it's, uh, it's cheap, and it works well for an illustration. Okay, 
All right, so here's the deal. Okay. So here we are, and, and we're, we're here, and we have, we have heart hungers and thirsts, okay? So let's use the analogy. Let's say that, that you're, you're physically hungry. And, and if you're physically hungry, this is the entire universe. This is the picture. You, you've got heart hungers and thirsts. This is the entire universe. There's God, and if you're physically hungry, God would be to you like in and out right? You've got a cheeseburger, you got fries, you got a milkshake. If you're physically hungry, God is to you like in and out or maybe, you know, lobster's your thing, or, but we're, you know, we're on a budget here at the church, so anyway, you got in and out, all right, all right, but God's not on a budget, okay? And so if you, with your heart hungers, and we've all got them, this is something we all have in common, you long for joy and fullness and peace and pleasure, you long for that in your heart, and God says, yes, I put that in you to be satisfied in me, him. And so, just like if you're physically hungry, if you were to come and eat here, you would be satisfied. So, if you're physically hungry, God is to you like in and out food. Okay? Now, what do we all do? Because of our pride, we don't want to bend the knee before our sovereign. We don't want to submit to our creator. No, thank you. We've all turned our backs on God, and so this is the whole universe. Here's God, and here's everything else, and we have taken our hungers and, and tried to eat other things. We've got fame, we've got sexual pleasure, and we've got money, and shopping, and you name it, right? So there's God, and then there's everything else, and if what we've all done is because of our sin and our pride, we've refused to bend the knee before God and come to Him and feed and instead, we've rejected God, and we've tried to get our heart, hungers, and thirst satisfied in other things. And nothing else will satisfy. No one here has been satisfied fully and lastingly in anything except for God through Jesus Christ. And you never will be. Some of you here think you're going to be. It's just one more promotion's going to land it for me. Or if I can just buy that car, it's going to really dial in. Or if I can have that woman or that man or whatever it might be, it won't. As, as I think it's Pascal who said, we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts and only God, through Jesus Christ, can fill it. So this is what we've all done. In our pride, we've refused to bend the knee and to just receive all of the love and the, and the pleasure of beholding God, worshiping Him, knowing Him. We've said no! And we've just... It's not working yet, but it's going to. It's a little, a little longer, okay? Now, do you feel how... How wicked it is that we've done that. And because God's just, and he's patient, he's slow to anger, but he's also just. And we've wickedly, it's like a cosmic wickedness we've all committed, and so we all face God's judgment. It's called eternity in hell. We all face that. That's, that's what all of us have faced. But the good news is the story doesn't end there. Okay, God sent his own son, Jesus. Isaiah 53 talks all about this. The Messiah came 2,000 years ago, and he died on the cross. Jesus, fully God and fully man, he was punished in our place for our wickedness. And so when you, you own up, to this, ah, and, and, you, and God opens your eyes and you see, why am I eating this? when I could be enjoying this, knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we turn and we surrender to him and we submit our lives to him and we trust him as our savior. 
and our Lord and our heart-satisfying treasure, the moment we do that, because of Jesus Christ, not because we're good enough, not because we're so spiritual, but because of Him, we're completely forgiven. And His power goes to work in our hearts and starts to change us. And and the pull over here, the, the pride that moves us over here starts to lessen and weaken. His power is changing our hearts. And He will give us times as we're in the Word, as we're in prayer, as we're in worship like we've experienced this morning, as we're in our home groups opening the scriptures and sharing with each other and praying for each other, he will give us times where he pours his very love into our hearts and we are satisfied and we are filled and we're full of him. We love him, we worship him. That's what we'll experience. So that's how the Christian life begins. You turn from whatever else you are trusting for your heart's satisfaction and you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, as your Lord, and as your heart's satisfying treasure. That's how the Christian life starts. Now, once you're here, though, a battle begins. Anybody following Jesus who's experienced battle? The battle is, we, we find ourselves being pulled back over here. Anybody feeling that pull? And there's three different reasons we're pulled, three different powers that are pulling us. There's supernatural powers of darkness that are pulling us back to, if you could just buy this, if you could just seek this revenge, if you could just gossip about this person, if you could just get this promotion... We're pulled by supernatural powers of darkness. We're also pulled by influences in just the world around us and by our indwelling remaining sin that is still there. So we're feeling this pull. And so we've, we've turned from these. We're, we're trusting Jesus. We're satisfied in him. But from time to time, we feel this pull. And it's a battle. It is a war. It's just like, if you're passive as a Christian, if you're not, like, not... Not, not battling, then you are being drawn here. You're, you're like, see, the river of, of sin and of the demonic is pulling this way. Unless you're swimming, if you're not swimming, what are you doing? You're floating this way. And so it's war. And so what happens in the rest of this chapter of Isaiah 55 is that God gives us four reasons which motivate us, help us, empower us to fight the battles. We say, no, I'm here. I'm feeding on you, I'm seeking you, I'm loving you, I'm worshiping you, I'm submitting to you, I'm trusting you. So, four reasons in verses 3 through 13 of Isaiah chapter 55. So the first reason is that if we seek God, he promises that his work of satisfying us will be everlasting. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear, God says. And come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And then here's what he will do when we come to him. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Underline those words. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. So when we, when we turn to Jesus Christ... He doesn't just satisfy us once, and for the rest of our lives we wistfully look back on how wonderful that was. He satisfies us, but he also makes an everlasting covenant with us. And what that covenant means is that for the rest of your life, everlastingly into eternity, he will continue satisfying you. He will continually meet you. There will never be a time when you turn to him and it's like, where'd he go? Nothing here. Okay? Like, as you look ahead to your future, we all kind of, the picture I get is we all have like a road, or you might picture your future this way. 
Your future's a road heading off into, into the distance. And your road, because of Jesus and you're trusting him, is paved with God's promise to satisfy you at every turn of the road. It's paved with satisfaction. It's banked with satisfaction. It's drenched with satisfaction. God says, forever, everlastingly, I will continue to bring my heart's satisfaction to you. Your future, if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, your future will never stop bringing you heart-satisfying joy in knowing God. Never. Never. Now you might think, what about trials? Aren't there going to be trials? Will there be trials? Yes, the Bible says, God says there will be trials. But as you know, you've heard us teach this. When God in his wisdom and his love and his mercy allows a trial to come into your life, the reason is because through that trial, he's going to bring you even more nearness to him, even more heart satisfaction in him than you would have known otherwise. So trials, yes, there's, there's turns in the road that are difficult, but even there, you're going to be drenched with God's heart-satisfying presence. He makes an everlasting covenant with you. It's not just you come to him once, but everlastingly, I'm going to satisfy you. Now what about death? Won't death bring a stop to this? And it's interesting that those last lines there, my steadfast, sure love for David, that's quoted in Acts chapter 13 by Paul. And he's talking about how God raised Jesus from the dead. That's, that's a part of what God's fulfilling here. And, and what Paul is doing, and what Isaiah is, is implying here, and the reason Paul quotes it, is because the fact that God has promised an everlasting satisfaction to you means that death will not make that end. Because this book says, when you die, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, he will raise you from the dead. Jesus was the first one raised from the dead. Jesus, fully God, fully man, raised from the dead. If you're trusting Christ, just like the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you from the dead. So death death is not the end of your satisfaction in God. It moves you into a whole other level of heart satisfaction in God. So if we seek God, he promises that his work of satisfying us will be everlasting. So as you look ahead to your future... Some of you, the road of your future, it's full of fears about this or worries about that. The picture you should have is to see that, yes, there may be difficulties, but that it's all going to be God bringing his heart-satisfying presence upon you at every turn of the road. You have nothing to fear. Now, Israel was fearing something, as Isaiah writes these words. Israel was fearing foreign nations. I mean, They'd been conquered by Babylon. They were there as slaves in Babylon. They feared what Babylon might do. And as I looked at verses, the end of verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5, I think what's going on here is that God is addressing Isaiah, Israel's fear about the nations. And he starts off talking about David, end of verse 3 and verse 4. Remember David's situation when he was moving towards being king and when he became king, the Philistines were surrounding Israel, hostile, bloodthirsty, angry, mean, nasty, foreign nations. And what did God do through David? He, he conquered the Philistines. He um, it influenced the Philistines. They did not in any way harm God's promise to David. And that's, I think, the point of verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. I think he's speaking to the Philistines there, a leader and commander for the peoples. And so just as God didn't let the nations, the peoples harm David, so the same thing's going to happen in and through Israel. Verse 5, here's what God says about Israel. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, that has learned more about God from you, because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, 
for he has glorified you. So David wasn't harmed by the nations. I'm going to work through you to impact the nations. Nations will run to you to learn about God from you. And that was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, right? Because Jesus was Jewish, right? The the disciples were all Jewish, the apostles, the early church in the early years was mostly Jewish and the Gentiles came. So the point is simply this, nothing, not death, not other nations, not sickness, not anything is going to stop God from the, the everlasting covenant he swears to you the moment that you turn and put your trust in him. His work of satisfying you will be everlasting. It will never, ever end. So I just want to challenge you, church, as, as you look ahead to your future, what do you see? Is that what you see? That whatever is going to come, God's going to meet me there. God's going to satisfy me there. God's going to help me there. He's going to give me wisdom there. He's going to strengthen me there. He's going to comfort me there. He's ordaining everything. Every turn of the road, every dip in the road, every rise in the road, everything in the road, everlasting covenant to satisfy you, to care for you, to love you. You have nothing to fear if you're trusting Christ. So this is a really good reason to turn to Jesus Christ and trust him because the moment you do an everlasting covenant, God swears with you. And it's a really good reason to stay here and not to let the pull draw us back over here. That's the first reason. Second reason. If we seek him, we will find heart satisfaction in him. He might be wondering, you know, I'm not a very spiritual person, I'm not a very religious person, this is my first time in church ever or, or whatever, and so, like, I'm going to sit down and, like, open up my Bible and, 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 like, what? Right? I mean, like, say some words, you know, like, maybe quote Psalm 23 or, you know, so I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the Bible and, like, is it something going to happen if I do that? And what God says is that if, if you see, well, let's read. Here's what he says, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So God calls us to seek him while he may be found, which means he can be found. Right? Call upon him while he is near. He is near and can be found. Now this is amazing news. Have you found God? Have you found him? Because you know you can go to church week after week after week and never find God. You can uh, you know, try to be a really good person. And not find God. Have you found him so you know him? Now, here's, here's a crucial truth. I shared this briefly last week. But the only way you can seek God and find him is if you seek him through Jesus Christ. Because of our sin. Right? Because we've all turned our backs on God. And we've done the cosmic wickedness of not submitting to him. And we face judgment. And the only way that God can welcome you is if you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you seek God, trusting Jesus as your Savior, His blood shed for you, His righteousness clothing you, God's arms are open to you, and when you seek Him, you will find Him. You will find Him. You will have times. This may be in home group, this may be here Sunday morning as you're worshiping, maybe you just, you know, you're, you're kneeling by your bed with your Bible open praying. You will have times when God pours his love into your heart so powerfully that, that you, you have a first-hand experience of him. 
in the word, through the word, the very love of God made real to you so that you see it, you savor it, you feel it. You'll have times where he will enlighten the eyes of your hearts, like Paul prays in Ephesians 1, and he shines the light of Jesus' glory into your soul so that the eyes of your heart see. Jesus is glorious. Look at him. He's amazing, and you're filled and satisfied. You will have times where you find God. Let me give you a story or tell you a story about Augustine. Uh, Augustine was a church leader in the early church. This is around the year 360 or 370 A.D., okay, about 370 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And Augustine uh, had a very immoral life as he was growing up. Augustine um, had been living with a woman for 15 years, had a son by her, and then some, for some reason they broke up. I don't know what it was, tragedy. He sent her back, uh, back to North Africa, and then he started living with her, kind of took on a mistress. And in this whole time, there was this growing conviction that, that he was sinning against God, and, and he was just broken because he could do nothing to change his lusts. He could do nothing to change the lifestyle he was in. He hated it, and then he was back into it. He hated it, and he was back into it. But his mother, Monica, was praying for him regularly. Take heart, moms. Okay, take heart, moms. She was praying for him regularly. And he was in his little backyard in a a walled garden area, and he was just weeping one day over his frustration at how sin just had captured him. And he was weeping over this. And all of a sudden he heard in the garden next door over the wall a a child kind of doing a sing-song chant. And, And the words were, Take it and read. Take it and read. Take it and read. I don't know what that... Anyway, he knew God was talking to him, saying, take it and read. And so he went back into the house, opened up his Bible, started to read, crying out to God to meet him, crying out to God to change him, and everything changed. Everything changed. And here's what he said happens. Get the quote up there. There it is. Listen to what he said happened. Here's how he describes it later on looking back. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. So he was here. These fruitless joys, he feared losing them. How sweet to be freed from those. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You, by your heart's satisfying presence, drove those things from me. Why go back to that stuff? Ugh! Yes, French fries, okay? You drove those things from me by you who are the true, the sovereign joy. See, he experienced something. He'd found God through Jesus Christ. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. That's the second reason. Is that when you seek God, you will find him. You will find him. He promises that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He can be found. Have you found him? Or are you settling for just kind of a, like a church attendance or trying to be good or you know, believing in certain doctrines? Have you found God in the person of Jesus Christ? Now, this is not our constant experience. I'll just speak from my own experience. I think it can be frequent, but it's not constant. 
I'm not always feeling this. Hello, okay? Sorry, it's just, you know, I'm... So we should either be experiencing God in this way or fighting to experience God in this way, never settling for not. Okay, that's, that's what I think the Christian life is. So that's the second reason, because if we seek him, we will find him. Third reason. When we seek him, God will meet us with compassion and pardon. It's so often for me, and I would guess for, for maybe all of you, uh, you hesitate to come to God because you are aware of how sinful you've been. I mean, why, why go to God if he's going to be angry? It's like, why would I want to do that? It's like if you've been out too late when you're growing up, you know, you don't want to, and your dad's going to be up, you go in the back way, right? You, you know, you crawl through the window or something. It's like, right, he's going to be mad. I'll just talk to him in the morning, okay, right? I mean, why go to God if he's going to be angry? But, but look, look at what Isaiah says in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Now see, this is a beautiful picture. Let, let the wicked, so here, we've been over here. We're wicked, we're unrighteous. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him, wicked and unrighteous, return to the Lord. Wicked and unrighteous? I, I've just been wicked and unrighteous. How can I, yes, return to the Lord, because here's what God will do. That he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now you know why God can have compassion on wicked, unrighteous people like us, right? It's because of Jesus. Because Jesus was punished in our place. So God can respond to you as you're you're trusting Jesus. You're you're submitting to Jesus Christ. You're trusting him as, as your savior and as your Lord and as your treasure. And because you're trusting Jesus, God has compassion for you. Some of you need to hear this big time. You don't think God will have compassion on you when you turn to him and you're, you're pulling back. Some of you are trying to, like, you're trying to be good. If I can just be good a little bit longer, maybe I'll sense that God's going to smile when I come to him. You can immediately come to God as you are, trusting in Jesus Christ and his response is compassion. Do you understand that? Because of Jesus, God's heart towards you is he feels compassion. He cares about you. And he will pardon. And not just pardon, but notice that word abundantly pardon. Now, you may have some doubts about this, and I think what happens in verses 8 through 11 is, is Isaiah wants to beef this up a little bit more. You, you might think, there's no way God would do that. We don't do that. If somebody hurts me, I'm not going to respond to them with compassion and abundant pardon. That's way beyond my thoughts, way beyond my ways. Look at verses 8 and 9. God says, I knew you were going to say that. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So yes, you're different than me. I'm different than you. Be glad. I will have compassion. I will abundantly pardon. Come! Trusting Jesus Christ. So God promises that he will be compassionate and pardoning, and he promises that with his very words. And then to drive home the truth of the fact that with his very words he's promised that, he says in verses 10 and 11 that his words always come true. If I speak something, it comes true. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I've promised that you'll have compassion and abundant pardon if you'll come to me through Jesus Christ. My word always does what it says it does. 
you will have compassion. You'll have abundant pardon. So listen, please. Don't hesitate in turning to God through Jesus because you're keenly aware of your wickedness. Come. Turn to him. And when you turn and you're trusting Jesus Christ, compassion and abundant pardon is what he will respond to you with. Fourth reason. This is really interesting. I puzzled over what's the point of verses 12 and 13. I think here's the point. If we seek him, our eternal satisfaction will be so spectacular that creation will sing and clap. Wow. Look at verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. Whoa, I've got, that's Everest, okay? Everest is going to be singing, all right? And all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Okay, here's, here's what I think is going on here. You can chew this over and ponder it. Sometimes Old Testament prophets, when they write some verses, those verses can describe two different events. Okay, that's what's going on here, I think. So, for example, in verse 12, Isaiah talks about, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. One thing that that's talking about is how Israel, in their near future, will be led forth from Babylon and taken back to Jerusalem, the promised land. God's going to lead them out of their exile, which is what what God actually did. So that's one aspect of what God's talking about here. And very often, in the Old Testament prophets, one set of verses will describe an immediate event that will happen to Israel, but then they will also describe a further event that will be taking place even greater for all of God's people. And I think there's a second event that's in these verses. Because notice, the hills are breaking forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That's like way over the top in terms of amazingness, spectacular stuff. And then notice that the thorn and the briar will be replaced with the cypress and the myrtle, which I think might be an allusion to the curse, the thorns, remember the curse put upon Adam, being lifted and God's blessing now coming. In other words, I think the second event that's being talked about in verses 12 and 13 is our experience of God in the new heavens and the new earth. That's, that's my thought. You can weigh that, see if you agree with that or not. That's what I think is going on here. Both Israel's restoration to Jerusalem and our future existence in the new heavens and the new earth. And the point that Isaiah wants to make is that our experience of satisfaction in God, resurrection bodies, new heavens and new earth, God seeing God the Father, Jesus the Son face to face, our satisfaction in him will be so spectacular that creation will be like, yes! Amazing celebration taking place from from creation. Now you've heard about bucket lists, I'm assuming, right? You know, bucket lists, these are the things that you want to make sure you get done before you die, right? Anybody, anybody not heard about bucket lists? Okay. Now I don't want to be too picky, but as I hear some people talking about bucket lists, it often sounds like what they're saying is that this life is where it's really at, 
And so if we're going to get everything that we're looking for, we better pack it in here because once we die, it's over. Followers of Jesus, we should know better. We should know better. We should never think in terms of, I got, you know, one more surf, okay, or one more trip to Yosemite, or just one more bite of lasagna, just one more. Listen, nothing wrong with surfing, nothing wrong with Yosemite, nothing wrong with lasagna. In fact, those are all gifts God's given to us. They're inferior tastes of the wonders that are coming. You understand that? They're inferior tastes of the amazing wonders that are coming. New heavens and new earth, resurrection bodies, and most of all, beholding our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, face to face, worshiping Him with the redeemed. That's going to be so incredible that you will not, listen, you will not miss anything here. Nothing here will you miss. You'll be seeing God, worshiping Him, loving Him. You're awesome. You won't miss anything. It's like, I wish I just had one more plate of lasagna. You know, no, this is not a chance in the world. But see, when, when we kind of get sucked into this bucket list thing, and we can start to think that way, right? Anybody been sucked into that? Thought, well, what, what should I make sure I get to before I die? Well, like, let's lead people to Christ, right? Let's advance the gospel. Let's go to the unreached people groups. Let's care for the poor and the widow. Let's show Jesus' glory in my neighborhood and with my family and in my workplace. That's what should be in our bucket list. Nothing else is going to matter. Okay, so the future that you have in eternity is so spectacular it's going to make mountains sing and trees clap. That's why, that's why we stay right here. And when the pulse come, we say, no, stand right here. Okay, now, has this stirred up any questions in your mind? It's like, I didn't get that part, or I'm not sure I can answer them, but maybe somebody else here could. But what, any questions that this stirred up in your mind that would be helpful for you to have us kind of work through as a, as a community here together? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And as we share it with people, God can use that to change the hardest heart. It's awesome news. It's encouraging. What happens when you're seeking God through Jesus Christ? You're trusting Jesus. You're not just trying to be good enough, right? You're seeking Jesus Christ, okay? And you're not finding, okay? What's happening then? And so in a sense, you're not being satisfied, it feels like, right? Okay. Um... Let me throw out an answer and then we can maybe pull some of the thoughts here too. And that is, we see from the scriptures that people experience that. Psalm 43, uh, Psalm 13 or two, Psalm 42 and 43 and then Psalm 13, good examples of that. And what, what comforts me at those times, because I experience those times too, is that there are times when God in his love and his wisdom will withhold the full hand of his outpouring upon us because it it humbles us it uh, refines us it enlarges our hunger even more and it, it sets us up for even more heart satisfaction when he brings that brings the outpouring so that's that's what i think the answer is so you will be fully satisfied and just but you press in he promises seek Jeremiah 29, 13, I think it is. If we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. We will find him. But again, the experience of this is not constant in our lives, but it can be frequent. Boy, a lot of wisdom there. So sin might be an issue. 
And so we should come before the Lord and come before our brothers and sisters and say, you know, Lord, is there sin that's in the way here? Or, you know, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to your home group brothers and sisters. Are you guys seeing something in me that could be a barrier here? And just open your heart up to the body in humility. So it may be sin. Um, and it may be that he wants to use the body to minister to you. Or it may just be that he wants some more time to go by because he's going to bless. You're going to have an enlarged capacity to receive even more by the fact that he is what seems to be a delay. Wait and be patient. That's good. So we should always either be experiencing or seeking. Never turning. Right? Always experiencing or seeking, but never turning and being patient in those in-between times. Okay, let me just uh, raise two questions I thought I wanted to just to camp on as I was just praying last night. So, Lord, two things I think the Lord wanted me to be sure to say. One is, some of you may hear about seeking God and experiencing Him in this way, and you think, you know, I'm just not a religious person. I just don't have a, you know, I'm not spiritual. I, you know, I like to work in my car. I like to hunt, you know. I like to, you know, shop, whatever it might be. And I want to encourage you that when you turn and, and, and t- turn towards God the Father through trusting Jesus Christ, He will change you. He will enable this to happen. You don't bring spirituality to the table. You don't bring, I'm so religious, this is really going to work for me. You're not, and it won't. But if you come to God as you are, saying, I need everything from you. Would you change my heart? Would you give me faith? Would you meet me? Jesus Christ, I'm trusting you. Help me. Save me. Be here for me. He will. He totally will. No one here is too unspiritual to turn to God and Jesus Christ and receive from him. He will give you everything that you need. Second question was, it's like, well, okay, we're talking all about you know, feeding on God and experiencing him and knowing him. Well, what about the poor? What about unreached people groups? What about sex trafficking? What about the orphans and the widows? What about poverty? What about these terrible things that are happening? What about the call to live obedient, righteous lives? And what I want to tell you, church, is that those things are of huge importance. And the way that we become effective in alleviating those in whatever way God calls us to is by starting right here. Okay? Because it's when your heart is full of the Lord that that you love and you care for the poor. It's when your heart is full of the Lord that you, you can give away more money. You don't need to buy more stuff. You can, it's like, I've got, I've got the Lord, I'm full. The Lord will change you so you'll be honest on the job. If you're satisfied in Him, you can speak the truth no matter what the cost might be. If the Lord is satisfying your heart, it's, it's not like we're going to be kind of in the ivory tower having these mystical beatific visions where we're just all like, I'm just totally satisfied and this is just awesome. But when, you're, when God meets you, at the same time, the fullness that he gives you will break your heart for the unreached people groups. And you will weep for lost people in your neighborhood. I have this. You, this is who you are. They need you. They need you. And so the best way to become transformed in your life, the best way to become somebody who cares for the poor, the best way to become someone who advances the gospel in your neighborhood is by spending time feasting on who God will be to you through Jesus Christ. This is the fountainhead of everything else we're called to do. And that's why when you pursue this, we will be changed. We will stop gossiping and lusting. We'll stop our greed. We'll love. We'll be humble. 
We'll speak well of everyone. We'll listen carefully. We'll speak the truth. Just the, be faithful to our wives and our husbands. All these, all the fruit will come from that. But this is where it all starts. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us and ask God to work this into our lives. It's an amazing thing, Father, that you, through Jesus Christ, can so satisfy us that we're filled and that you would say you make an everlasting covenant that you will keep satisfying us in you through every trial you'll raise us from the dead and that each of us who are trusting Christ our future is everlasting heartfulness in beholding you living God we're all at different places, Father. Some of us here, I would guess, don't know you yet, haven't yet really turned from other things. Lord, right now, I pray that you'd bring deep conviction, like you gave to Augustine, that there would be a brokenness over the wickedness of not turning to you. Please, Lord, and then, and then have hearts turn to you through Jesus Christ right now. Lord, those who doubt whether you will be able to respond to them with compassion and pardon, let them see the cross. Let them see your cry. Jesus, you said, it is finished. Let them see that free and full forgiveness and pardon and compassion will be theirs when they turn. Those who feel too unspiritual to really pray, to really meet you in the word, to worship, Lord, I pray that that you would urge them just to come to you as they are and that you will change them and enable them. Lord, those who right now are being pulled powerfully by temptation. I pray that as they turn to you now, you would satisfy their hearts and just like Augustine experienced, you would rid them of those empty desires. Many, many needs here, Lord. But we want to know you. We want to trust in your Holy Son, Jesus. We want to be changed so we love our wives and husbands and kids and neighbors and work hard at our jobs and care for the poor and advance the gospel and go to the unreached people groups. Work in our hearts, Lord, I pray, for the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.